Well, hello, my friends. This is Stuart Haynes, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast. iFormerX is a community of practice where we explore the evidence that informs practice. And if you're not already a member, please consider joining. iFormerX is free to health professionals and those training to become a health professional. Just head on over to our website, iFormerX.org, and sign up today. Years ago, when I was first learning about how to measure blood pressure using a mercury sphygmomanometer, it was impressed upon me to get an accurate blood pressure reading. You had to follow specific procedures and to use the correct cuff size. If the cuff was too small or too large, the reading you obtained would likely be 5, 10, perhaps even 15 millimeters of mercury off from the patient's, quote, real blood pressure. Of course, in practice, I frequently saw clinic staff routinely taking blood pressures without following these best practice procedures using the same cuff, usually a large adult cuff for everybody. Well, because of these inconsistencies in blood pressure measurement techniques, many practices now use automated blood pressure machines which are supposed to provide more consistent and more accurate readings when compared to manual blood pressure measurements, which often have human error. Using an automated cuff, does it really matter what cuff size you use? My assumption is, and has always been, yes, it matters. But believe it or not, there hasn't been any published data about the influence of cuff size on blood pressure measurements when using automated blood pressure machines. And since accurate blood pressure measurements are critically important when making therapeutic decisions, this is clearly a important issue. And joining me today are Dr. Vincent Lamb and Dr. Katie Pinkus. A few months ago, I ran across the study in JAMA Internal Medicine that looked at various cuff sizes and their impact on blood pressure measurements. And so I asked Katie and Vincent to critically appraise this study and write a commentary. Dr. Pincus has been a frequent contributor to iFormerX and serves on our editorial board. She's an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the University of Maryland and a clinical pharmacy specialist practicing at the University of Maryland Family and Community Medicine. And she also happens to be Dr. Lamb's residency program director. Vincent is currently the PGY-2 Ambulatory Care Pharmacy Practice Resident at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. So, Vincent, it's great to have you on the iFormerX podcast as a first-time contributor. And Katie, welcome back. Hello. It's nice to be here today. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me back. So, Katie, I'd like to start with you before we talk about the study that you critically appraised. I was aware that cuff size was one of the variables that could cause erroneous blood pressure readings. But there are lots of things that can lead to inaccuracies. So what are the best practices we should all be following when measuring blood pressure? And what problems do you most commonly see in your practice, things that are pretty routinely not done according to best practice standards and from a patient monitoring and therapeutic decision point of view? What can I do and others do to ensure that we, and I mean the patient and I, or other clinicians and their patients, are basing treatment decisions on the most accurate information? 
reading this article took me back to pharmacy school abilities lab where we were graded with this long checklist of all the steps that were needed to take an accurate blood pressure. And these include patient behaviors like avoiding smoking, caffeine, exercise for about 30 minutes before the reading, emptying their bladder before the reading, resting for at least five minutes before the reading, and not talking or reading or playing on your phone during that rest period because all of that is still activating. Um, there's also positional factors, so things like making sure the patient's back is straight and supported, that their feet are flat on the floor and their legs are uncrossed, and that their arm is supported on a flat surface with the upper arm at heart level. I know at my practice, there were a lot of discussions about room layouts to ensure that the patients can be positioned appropriately during blood pressure readings. But I still notice that the patient's arms are often left resting on the chair instead of being propped up on the desk, which is approximately at heart level for most patients. I also see that patients often have been sitting in the waiting room for at least five minutes before their blood pressure reading, but then they're moved into the room only before the vital signs are taken almost immediately. So there isn't truly that five-minute rest period after any activity. And I don't know how consistently we ask them about emptying their bladder before a reading. That was talked about in this article and kind of I had forgotten about that step. I also just want to mention that with the emphasis being placed on home blood pressure readings, it's sometimes hard to tell how consistently these steps are being followed by patients in their home, where we're not usually observing them performing their own blood pressure readings. So I try to ask about one or two of these elements when I'm receiving reports of home blood pressure readings from patients to reinforce concepts, but I think it's too much to go through every single one of those steps every time. So I think probably there might still be some of these being missed at home as well. So Vincent, let's let's talk about the study that you reviewed. It, it's entitled Effects of Cuff Size on the Accuracy of Blood Pressure Readings, the Cuff SZ randomized crossover trial. As I mentioned, the study was published in JAMA Internal Medicine in August 2023. As always, we provide a link to the paper on our website. But can you tell us a little bit about the study methods and some of the key findings? Yes. So this was a randomized crossover trial that was conducted by the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health and School of Medicine. It included community-dwelling adults who are 18 years or older in Baltimore, Maryland. So that's relevant, at least in the setting of where Katie and I practice. Some patients who were excluded from the study were patients who were pregnant or also those who had an arm circumference of over 55 centimeters. Just so something to kind of think about in regards to our patients who may have a higher BMI or who may need a larger blood pressure cuff size. The primary outcome for the study is that they want to look at the difference in mean systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure readings that were obtained with a regular blood pressure cuff in comparison to that with a blood pressure cuff that was appropriately sized for our patients. They also want to look into secondary outcomes with regards to differences in mean systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure using blood pressure cuff sizes that are too small or too large in comparison with that of our appropriate blood pressure cuff across all cuff sizes for our patients. What they did was they completed a total of four sets of triplicate blood pressure measurements with the initial three sets using various cuff sizes that are either appropriate too small or too large, and the fourth set be a repeat measurement with the appropriate size blood pressure cuff. 
So prior to each set of blood pressure measurements, based off of standards of practice and the guidelines, so, so participants, they're allowed to rest for five minutes prior to that reading. They're also positioned appropriately where they are seated with their back and feet and arms supported, and their arm position at heart level. Participants were also asked to not speak to the research staff or use any devices during the measurements to, and also blood pressure readings were conducted 30 seconds apart. So there are multiple blood pressure readings within one set. There are about 200 participants in this study with their average age of being 50 years. 70% of the patients were black and about two thirds of the patients were female and about half of the patients had diagnosed hypertension. With regards to blood pressure cuff size, what we found was that there was a wide distribution of patients requiring small, regular cuff, large, and extra-large cuff sizes. And the results found a statistically significant difference in systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure with regards to blood pressure cuff sizes being too large, leading to lower blood pressure readings, while blood pressure cuff sizes that are one size too small and two sizes too small also lead to higher blood pressure readings with 20 millimeters of mercury for blood pressure cuff sizes being two sizes too small. So Katie, the, the study was pretty complicated. This is a crossover study with multiple cohorts. So hoping you can unpack things a bit for us. Do you think this was an appropriate methodology? And are there any sources of bias or potential confounders here? I do think this is an appropriate methodology. I think the research question was pretty targeted and simple, and I think they really set out in a logical way to answer that question. The study met pre-specified enrollment targets and included patients who were diverse in terms of race, diagnosis of hypertension, body composition, though all the baseline information, including medical history and weight, were self-reported by the patients. And patients with arm circumferences larger than would fit in an extra large cuff were excluded. The authors were mindful of ensuring adequate distribution among the correct cuff sizes, though there weren't enough patients in some of the cuff size group, particularly the small cuff size group, for some subgroup analyses that they were planning. Appropriate blood pressure measurement protocols were followed in the study, though this may or may not reflect real-world practice. Um, I thought it was notable that the investigators had the patients walk for those two minutes before the rest period for each of the triplicate blood pressure measurements. When I first read the study, I was worried about the impact of so many repeated measurements. Each participant had 12 blood pressure readings, but appropriate rest time was built in between each of the measurements. And they built in a sensitivity analysis where they did this fourth set of readings, which was a repeat of the appropriately sized blood pressure cuff readings. And they did not find any discrepancies between the two sets of appropriate blood pressure size readings, meaning blood pressure didn't creep up as you continued to measure blood pressure on the same arm for the same patient over time. They did an additional sensitivity analysis where they used only the first reading instead of the average of the triplicate readings, and that also showed consistent findings. So the investigators, I think, made a good case that the blood pressure readings were not influenced by the study methodology. So, Vincent, what are the implications of this study in practice? It seems if a cuff size is one size too large, that might lead to a fairly small underestimation of the patient's actual blood pressure. But selecting a cuff size that is one size or perhaps two sizes too small really led to clinically meaningful overestimation of the patient's blood pressure on, on average 
20 millimeters of mercury. That's huge. Some patients could be erroneously diagnosed with hypertension and potentially started on two blood pressure medications based on measurements obtained from an automated blood pressure machine using a regular-sized adult cuff when they really should have been using an extra-large cuff. So obviously, using a right-sized cuff matters quite a bit. What are some practical strategies we can implement to ensure the most appropriate cuff size is used? And how do I know that I'm using the most appropriately sized cuff when taking blood pressures? I think kind of next steps moving forward are to making sure that our patients are receiving the appropriate blood pressure cuff size after measuring their arm circumferences, while also making sure that we're paying a closer evaluation to blood pressure technique, both in office and in the home remote monitoring session, and identifying any potential contributors such as caffeine intake, smoking or exercise, or also even emptying your bladder prior and making sure that patients are positioned correctly and also ensuring appropriate rest and multiple readings are conducted in one sitting. Some next steps to consider with regards to these findings are to work upstream and to provide some potential interprofessional education and workflow protocols to ensure that staff are conducting blood pressure measurements appropriately and accurately. Uh, we can also consider potentially including quick references to show the correlation with arm circumference and what the appropriate blood pressure cuff size in the office setting. I know as Vincent and I discussed this article preparing for this discussion, we talked a lot about our patients on home blood pressure monitoring. It's been a big movement in our practice to get more patients home blood pressure cuffs. And we really started scratching our heads going, do we know what size cuff they have at home? Who is doing that fitting? Is that something on the ordering side that the physician putting in the order for the home blood pressure cuff has to specify which size should be dispensed? Is that something that's being reviewed when these are dispensed from medical supply stores or community pharmacies. So we really started scratching our heads about do our patients at home have the appropriate supplies to accurately take blood pressure. And we often have people bring their cuff in to look at their technique and to kind of calibrate it against our in-office blood pressure meters to you know see if they're getting accurate readings. This kind of underscored how important I think that might be just to look at what supplies they have, in addition to all the other steps of the technique. The other thing that came to mind for me as we were critiquing the study was that the biggest differences seen were for those patients who qualified for an extra large cuff and were being measured with a cuff that was two sizes too small. And it just made me think a lot about how we're introducing bias and stigma into medical care as well, that the people we are most often misdiagnosing in this paradigm are going to be our patients who are overweight or obese. And we're going to be adding on another medical diagnosis, another set of medications for them, which is potentially not necessary. So that was just another thing that gave me a little bit of pause that we're overdiagnosing our overweight patients and then maybe underdiagnosing our underweight patients, if we're not sizing down to the small or in some cases, maybe an extra small cuff, we could be missing diagnosis of hypertension. So should we be recording in the patient's chart their appropriate cuff size so that we're ensuring that we are using it consistently and accurately at each patient visit, as well as communicating to the patient what their appropriate cuff size is? Yes, I definitely think that's a very good point you bring up, but where I think maybe a next step or consideration for standard of care is to make sure that 
that we have this appropriately documented, but also making sure that we're documenting what arm that they're using and also the date too, as as we know, BMIs and potential changes and variations in arm circumference can occur over time too. Well, Vincent, Katie, thanks uh, uh, yet again for being on the iFormRex podcast with me today. I, I think we take it for granted that blood pressure readings we receive from the medical assistant or the nurse or from the patient are accurate and, and a true representation of the patient's blood pressure. But I think as this study reinforces, these measurements can be wildly inaccurate and cuff size is one of the most important considerations. What do you do in your practice to ensure that the most appropriate cuff size is being used? Remember, only iFormRex members can leave comments and use the interactive features on our website, and you can become a member, so please sign up today. Would you like to earn board recertification credit for listening to this podcast and reading the written commentary, which we've posted on our website? Well, you can. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to offer the evidence-based practice literature evaluation series. It's available online, on demand, anytime, anywhere. So just click on the link that we've posted below the written commentary on our website to learn more. And lastly, I want to thank Elizabeth Yet for her many contributions to iFormerX, including writing commentaries, participating in podcasts, and and serving as a peer reviewer. This last year, Elizabeth joined our advisory board. I first met Elizabeth when she came to Jackson, Mississippi to complete her PGY2 ambulatory care residency a few years ago. And Elizabeth accepted a position at the University of Texas at Tyler. And she reached out to me and asked how she could continue to contribute to iFormerX. Unbeknownst to me, she met her future husband here in Jackson during her residency. So I suspect we'll continue to have a special place in our heart here in Jackson. I know you have a special place in ours, Elizabeth. So thank you for all that you've done for iFormerX and the profession. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, editor-in-chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.